Happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, praise God for that, all right? Because uh, if, if you wouldn't be here, then, well, you would be missing out, right? Yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's pray for those that are not able to be here today. Uh, James and Winter, they are traveling. Uh, Chloe's grandfather passed away. I don't know if you know that or not. So they're visiting family this weekend. Um, they're in Arizona. Also, we continue to pray for our, well, th- those that are homebound, like uh, Terry Neri. We thank, we thank Terry for her faithful prayer and her uh, support for Joan uh, that, that uh, vis- visits us online, and she p- continually prays for us as well. Shirley, that's not here today as well. Let's uh, remember them in prayer. And do you have any other prayer requests that we can lift up this morning while we are thinking about this? Well, let's continue to pray for Israel. We haven't brought that up in a while, and uh, the, the battle continues there in the Middle East. And um, we know that these, these wars and rumors of wars that are taking place are part of the, the signs that are to be at the end. And um, I think that once it happens and then it's in the news, it splashes and something else takes its place, and we forget about uh, the turmoil that they are experiencing at this time. They, they do not celebrate Christmas. They do celebrate Hanukkah, which is around this time of the year. Uh, and so, again, that's, that is one of the Jewish festivals. But, uh, and so their, their children are not able to celebrate as we are freely without any fear of bombs dropping on our heads or anything like that. So we'll continue to pray for that situation as well. Amen. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. If you'd like, you can stand with me or right there where you're at, just bow your heads. But most importantly, bow your hearts before the Lord, Father in heaven. We want to thank you once again for just the privilege that you give us to be able to meet in such a warm facility in a place that is padded with pews and uh, just a beautiful uh, scenery that we have here, Father. We thank you for the peace that you've brought here and, and all that you've given us. And we thank you, Lord, that you've been so good to us. And you continue to bless this uh, congregation and this, uh, this facility. You continue to take care of us. Since 1963, this place has been uh, serving you and worshiping you. And we thank you, God, that we are able to continue on in that, not only in just the tradition, but in the word that uh, was founded here. Thank you for those that have gone on before us and laid the foundation for us and built this, this facility. And uh, for those that have been able to participate in the beautification uh, of this place and uh, just given us this time and this ability to be here. We know that there are many other places that have closed down, shut their doors, and have abandoned their buildings. But God, you have not abandoned this place as of yet. And we thank you for that. And we pray that you continue to uh, move amongst your people. Help us to, to grow uh, in your love and in your word. And so, Lord, I pray for those that are here and those that are not able to make it. We lift up to you. Uh, those we mentioned, we pray for James and Winter as they're traveling. Pray for Chloe as she's experiencing this loss of her grandfather. And it's, it had a devastating effect on her. I pray that you give her the peace and the strength that she needs to get through this, especially now that she's finishing up her school. I pray for uh, traveling mercies on them and for them. Uh, give them peace. I pray for Joan and for um, and for Terry and for those that aren't able to make it today, those that have been uh, away from us for some time. We pray your blessing upon them. And thank you, God, for the prayers that they lift up on behalf of this church, on these members. And we thank you for um, for Shirley and for uh, those that are not able to be here today, those that are out for whatever reason, we lift them up to you. And God, we just pray, God, your peace upon them. We have the ability to come and go. And we know that in Israel, the bombs are dropping, the war continues, and there is this hatred toward uh, the, the Jewish people, your people, your chosen people. And it's, an, it's a hatred that is nationwide, that is worldwide. And uh, it is being shown through all the protests and everything else that's going on. But Lord, we know that ultimately this is exactly what's supposed to happen. And so we trust in you, Lord, that you have it all under control. Though it seems like it's out of control, 
We know that you're sovereign, that you've already, uh, you've already selected the way and how these things are going to end up and how they're going to go. So we ask you, Lord, to give us the, the peace that we need from your heart, from the heart that comes from you. The peace that flows out of your heart into our heart, your spirit that resides within us and gives us the peace that we need. So Father, we thank you for that. We pray that you lead us this morning as we remember those that are not with us and those that, uh, that have gone on before us and those that have uh, prayed for us and continue to pray for us. We lift up all these prayers uh, combined, worldwide, nationwide, statewide, citywide, as those that are praying even now. We lift them all up to you, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says amen and amen. All right. Uh, open up your Bibles. We're going to be finishing up. Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians has been uh, a blessing to me. I pray as it has been to you. <laughs> uh, I have two bottles of water up here, please. This is not a two-bottled message. <laughs> At least I don't think so, so far. I just didn't finish my first one, and so I just brought it up here. Don't be afraid. We have, uh, we have a lot to, to work on, a lot to do, but first and foremost, let us conclude our our book of Second Thessalonians with a warning that Paul gives us. This is, this is interesting. This is interesting, this warning that he gives the, against the idleness of the people. Now, as you know, 1 Thessalonians was written to encourage uh, this, this church, this, uh, a model church, one that had started uh, off very, you know, just by itself. Uh, Paul was there for just a short time, had to leave, and this church exploded by the word that was preached to them. And uh, they, they knew of the second coming. They knew that things were going to end uh, sometime soon. This is what Paul had taught them. And they just thought it had happened already. As a matter of fact, they were concerned that if the rapture hadn't happened yet, they were concerned that their loved ones who had died before them were going to be left behind or what was going to happen to them. And so Paul instructed them. He says, no, don't worry about those that have died in Christ. They're going to go first. They're going to be resurrected first. Those of us that are left behind will be caught up. And Paul spends a, a, a good amount of time in the rapture. And then in chapter 2, again, he's talking about the end times. They're, they're afraid. Somebody has told them. Somebody's wrote, written them a letter. There are people talking about the return of Christ, that the Antichrist is already here. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of pictures of Antichrist throughout the world. People have uh, pinpointed many people as far as being the Antichrist. This has got to be him. This has got to be him because of all the evil that has happened in the world. I think the last one that was pinpointed as the Antichrist was Hitler. Um, and uh, the Jewish people really believed that's got to be the Antichrist. And so we know that uh, Paul taught us in Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, he taught us about the lawless one, things that have to take place before he is revealed. And so he hasn't been revealed as of yet. And so we, we talk, and, and this is called what us theologians call, we call it eschatology. In other words, the study of the eschaton or the study of the end times. Eschatology is Paul's focus in these two chapters. And it's interesting, at least to me, that he invests just about as much time on this idleness as he did on eschatology or the end time uh, in, in each different chapter. Now, when you put it all together, of course, there's more on the end times, but look at these verses that he talks about in chapter 3, verses 6 through 15. And, uh, and he, he does so in such a way that he's ending the letter. This is the last letter that they receive. And so he's, he's talking to them in a, in a sense where, look, you have to be careful about those that are doing nothing. They're not busy, but they're busy bodies, he says. They get into houses and they get into your mind because they have nothing else to do. You know, and so all they do is just sit around and talk and talk about themselves, talk about other people, and, and talk to other people about other people. 
And, and so Paul is really concerned about this, that, like I said, he, he invests enough time on this for us to at least take note of it. And I know it's Christmas and all, but I'm hoping I can tie it in together as to far as you know, what this means for us, as well as this time of the year, and what Paul tried to get across to the people in Thessalonica. But let me, uh, let me read verses 6, chapter 3, verses 6 through 15. And he says this, Now, We command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now, such person we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living as for you brothers do not grow weary in doing good if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed not do not regard him as an enemy but warn him as a brother father in heaven this is a portion of scripture that we come to at this time that it seems to be out of balance with, with our uh, teaching and what we've been going through. But, Lord, we know that your word is always on time and perfect. So, Father, just give us some insight as to what Paul was trying to say to the people in Thessalonica and how we can apply it to our lives today. And, Father, we just thank you once again for all that you give us and all that you do, we pray in Jesus' name. Everyone says amen and amen. Now, if you've been with me for some time, you know that we've been going through the, the New Testament well, way back when. Well, it's been years now, and uh, we've been going through all the letters. We went through the, the, the Gospels, and we went through the letters. Started We, we did in Romans, and, uh, Romans Acts, Acts and Romans, and First and Second Corinthians. And, and, so, and, it, and it seemed as every time that we came to a, a certain time of the year or a certain event that was happening, that we were right on, on schedule, on point. Now, if I could have planned this myself, I probably would not have put this portion of Scripture during this time of the year. However, to me, at least, and, and I, I don't know anything, I'm just going by what God is saying. To me, I would think that maybe this is probably a good uh, portion of scripture that we can use maybe in the summertime or sometime when, when work is picking up or there is no work or, or whatever the case may be. However, as I said before, this is where the Lord has brought us on this portion of scripture. So let's get through this. I mean, excuse me, I don't mean to say it in a negative way. Let's go through this because I know that the Lord has something in store for you. Because if it wasn't for the job that you have, you would not be able to participate in a lot of the things that you have. You have a home, you have a car, you have uh, your car breaks down, you're able to take care of it. You, you're able to, uh, to take care of your house, you're able to take care of yourself. You buy clothes, you, you pay your bills, uh, you have food to eat. The Lord has blessed you with a job. And that's what we call this message today. Work, believe it or not, is a blessing. 
not a curse, like many people believe, but work is a blessing. A lot of people have this idea that, you know, I, I go to work because I have to. I have to please my boss. I have to do this. I have to pay the bills. I, you know, and we have this have to attitude. Uh, as a matter of fact, I don't know if you've ever seen that bumper sticker on some people's cars that says, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. And uh, it's like this idea of I'd rather be fishing or I'd rather be uh, skating or I'd rather be skiing. I'd rather be anywhere but work. Right. One one bad day of, of fishing is better than a whole week of work is what I've heard before. And so we've <laughs> we've had we've had this negative uh, perspective of work. But that's what happens when we look at work from a worldly perspective. From when we look at work from a worldly perspective, we get this worldly view. And as a matter of fact, one of the persons, one of the people that have taken this worldly perspective and brought it to our understanding is a man named Solomon. Solomon. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes is a book of writing. Solomon was just, um, he, he, was, he was just overwhelmed with everything that was going on. Solomon was the richest man. He had everything. He had, uh, you know, houses and temples and gold and money. He had uh, camelacs, I guess. He had, had horses. He had land. He had servants. He had everything that the world could ever give. And yet, he says, you know, it's all vanity. It's nothing. I can't, I can't believe, I can't find no fulfillment in this. If you ever listen to some of these people that have a lot of money, that have a lot of things, especially a lot of artists, they'll tell you, you know, I've tried to find my fulfillment in the things that I own. But you come to find out that those things that you own, you don't actually owe them, they own you. And so what Solomon had come to a conclusion in his own life, in, in, as he starts off in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 3, he says, what does a man gain by all the toil in other words, work, at which he toils under the sun. What do I get? All I get is tired. All I get is sunburn. All I get is aches and pains. All I get is old. Solomon is saying, I mean, what, what good does it do for work? And, and again, he's not looking at it from a biblical standard. He's looking at it from a worldly standard. And he, he was able to do this because Solomon was the wisest man in the world at that time. In chapter 2, verse 22, he says, What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart, which with which he toils beneath the sun. What, what, what does he have? He just has stuff. He gets stuff and stuff that you can't even take with you. Uh, chapter 3, verse 9, he says, what gain has the worker from the toil? I mean, really, what does he get? Okay, he gets more stuff and continues to get stuff. In chapter 5, verse 16, he says, this also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. What, 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 and what gain is there to him who toils from the wind? In other words, he's saying, in, in the way that you came with nothing, guess what? You're going to leave with nothing. Do you know that within another 100 years, people are going to be living in the house that you have paid and, and fought to keep? Uh, your car that you're driving now may not even exist anymore. It might be a, in, in a junkyard somewhere. All the things you have purchased and bought are going to be stolen, distributed, or whatever, or destroyed. All the money's in the bank and the accounts and everything that you have is going to be somebody else's. You know, in 100 years, your name's not even going to be remembered. How many of you remember your great-grandfather's name? Some of you probably do. How many of you remember what kind of work he did? You know, 100 years ago, the things that they were able to do, if you followed your lineage, you might know a little bit about that. But, but do you really know who, who their uh, friends were? And, and, you know, there's a lot that we base our life on when we look at the world from a worldly perspective. And Solomon was doing that. He was, he was seeing it purely from a human perspective. As a matter of fact, 
He goes on to say in Ecclesiastes 2.11, Then I considered all that my hands had done, the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity. In other words, it was just useless. And a striving after wind, you know, going after the wind where you can't even catch the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Boy, he had a really negative approach to life. He had a negative approach to work. He had a negative approach to the things of this world. As you can see here in Ecclesiastes 2.18, he says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. He had a good understanding about it. Everything that I've worked for, I'm just going to leave it to the next guy. Everything that I've done. And as he's looking at life, Solomon is pondering his riches, where he came from, from a, uh, just a poor boy and a king and all that he's acquired. He's looking at all these things and he's saying, you know, he has the same kind of attitude that many of us have about work. I hate work. I hate having to get up. I hate, you know, and man, I hate, not only do I hate work, but I hate everybody that's there. Well, why, why do I even have to do this? And, you know, we have this negative attitude about work. And so when I started off this message by calling it work is a blessing, some of you probably says, what? Well, maybe your work is a blessing. Maybe you like it because you get to preach and yell at us. You know, I can't yell at nobody. And, and so work, regardless of what you do, will come to a point where, you know what, no matter where you go, or what you do, it's going to be the same thing. Same people, different names, different faces, same thing. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 4 says, Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. In other words, he says the reason people work hard is because they want what their neighbors have. They have a house, I want a house. They have a car, I want a car. They have two cars, I want two cars. They have a motorcycle, I want a motorcycle. I got to put in more time, more overtime. I got to put in more, uh, you know, get a second job, a third job to be able to keep up with everybody around me. And I don't even like those guys, but yet they got more than me, so I got to go out and get some more. And it seems like work has become a burden, where in essence, work is a blessing. God gave us work. God gave us the work to do in our lives. He has given us the ability to look at the work and have a work ethic according to how God has blessed us with it. In, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 31, it says, So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. When I was in 1 Corinthians years ago, I told everybody, I says, look, come back next Sunday. I'm going to show you how to get a new job. Everybody says, really? I'll teach you how to get them. You'll have a brand new job. You come on Sunday, on Monday, you'll have a new job. Well, everybody showed up. And I told them, I says, look, all you have to do is do it as if you were doing it for God. Whatever it is that you do, you sweep floors, you, you, uh, you stack boxes, whatever you do, you file papers, do it as if you were doing it, not for your boss, not for the company, not for those around you. You're doing it for God. When you have a different perspective, that's the perspective a Christian should have. We should have a, a godly perspective from the word of God. God's word should be our perspective, not the world, but the word. Unfortunately, most of us spend a lot of time in the world with worldly people that have that negative perspective. But when you start spending time in the word and with people that are spending time in the word, you come to realize my job is a blessing. Because it, it is a blessing. He has given me all the things that I need to be able to not only take care of my family, but to be able to bless others as well. Look at this next verse. Well, I, I, I don't, you don't have it in your outlines, but it should be up on the board. It says in Colossians 3.17, it says, And whatever you do, in word or in deed, 
do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Everything that you do, whether it is that you plow a field, that you pick a field, that you plant a field, whether you work on cars, whether you work at, at, whether you work at Wall Street or whether you work at Walmart, whether you work for Taco Bell or if you work for Pac Bell, whether you work at a bank or whether you work at a food bank, wherever it is that you're working, you do it all as if you were doing it for God. And, and, and I, I can guarantee you, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when you do this, and you honor God with what you do. Lord, I'm, I'm delivering. I'm driving. I'm working for you. Because you are the one that gave me this job. You are the one that gave me this health. You're the one that gave me the ingenuity, the ability, the understanding to be able to figure out this machine, figure out these tools, figure out this, this uh, schematic, figure out these drawings, figure out how to put it all together. It is God that has given you all that you're able to do. You just then all of a sudden, you know, poof, and it's there. God blesses the world. God blesses you so that you can bless others. And so Paul says, whatever you do, whether you, whatever you're saying or whatever you're doing, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, work is commended by God. Some of you would say, well, didn't God curse work? That's why we hate work. Well, back up a little bit. In Genesis chapter 2, when God created everything, number one, first of all, work is an example of God. God is the one that actually works himself. He, he's working in salvation. He's working through your redemption. He's working out your salvation. He worked when he said, in the beginning, God created. He began work. As a matter of fact, we'll look at a verse right now. He says, in six days, he created the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested. Why? Not because he was tired. Because he showed us an example. You work for six days and take a day off. Trying to work seven days a week is, is, not, is not good. I mean, if you can put a, a six days work into five days, which is kind of what they were doing at that time, it's even better. Because back then, they would work from sunup to sundown. That's as far as they would go. And sometimes they'd have to work extra because of the, the cattle, the, the fields, and whatever the case may be. But whatever it was, you just stopped on the seventh day. That's, you don't do anything. You need a rest. God showed us by example when he created all of creation, he worked, he put it together. As a matter of fact, when he built the garden, he says in Genesis chapter 2.15, <coughs> it says this the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to do what? to work to work and keep it the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it see there was a time when work was okay work was fun there was a time that work was, was something that you do because it, it fulfills you. When you work, when you get a, you know, when you have a good day at work, you, you've done your quota, you've done your job, and you come home, and you, you have this, this tiredness, yes, but you have this exhaustedness, yes, you're exhausted, but it's like a, a successful, you know, you know, thank God that's done. Okay, tomorrow's another day. Well, thank God that that's done. There is this satisfaction that comes from completing what it was that you were assigned to do. Now, of course, in the world, it's totally different. The world has a totally different view of work. Thank God, I'm, you know, I'm glad I'm out of here. I, and they throw their tools all over the place, and boom, they're out. And then they come back the next day with the same attitude that they left, and they have no enjoyment. At the time that God put man in the Garden of Eden to work it, it was good. Adam felt great. 
Adam, Adam had this understanding, as I said earlier, in Exodus channel, uh, Exodus chapter channel, ch- chapter twenty, verses eight, nine. You know, and, and by the way, work is in the top ten commandments. As a matter of fact, here it is in number five. He says, "Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy." Well, we know that keep the Sabbath day holy. Then he goes on to say, six days you shall labor and do all your work. That's part of the Ten Commandments. You are commanded to work. And you're commanded to work in such a way that it is uh, fitting to your abilities. Now, naturally, not everybody can drive a truck. Not everybody can hammer a hammer. Not everybody could uh, figure out numbers and is an accountant. Not every, everybody has a different gift, different abilities. Everybody has a different uh, task to do. But whatever task you're given, it's given to you by God. Do it to the best of your ability. Work at it as if you were working unto the Lord. You know, much later, we come to find out that because Adam sinned, because he sinned, God took him from the garden. And when he took him from the garden, he told him, he says, you know, because you did this, because you ate of the fruit, because of what you did, you know what, your work is going to produce to you heartaches, thistles, thorns and thistles. That's all the ground is going to produce for you. If you want to really get something to grow in the fields that you're going to go for, you're going to have to work for it. And it's going to be hard, and it's going to be painful, and you're going to get your fingers stuck with thorns and weeds and all these, all these things, all this extra work that you have to do because you sinned. You know, if you think about this, beloved, all the extra stuff that is being put on you at work, all this extra monotony and craziness and uh, the boss that is always on, your, on you and, and uh, no, I, I wasn't going to say that, and uh, get it out of your mind, and, and all this stuff that is happening to you at work, all this stuff, a lot of it has to do because of my own disobedience. A lot of it has to do because of what's going on in my life, spiritually speaking. A lot of it has to do because I'm not thanking God and thanking him because my work, my job is a blessing. And so all these things that happen, you know, are happening because God wants you to understand that your work, your job is a blessing. It gives you satisfaction when you do it well. It gives you satisfaction when they recognize you. You, Well, good job. Might might not be all the time, but you'll get an attaboy every once in a while. You know, you don't need an attaboy. Why? Because you get a big attaboy at the end of the week, a paycheck. Here, for doing a good job. There you go. Because if you weren't doing a good job, guess what? Okay, well, we're not going to give you this anymore. (laughs) You're not working out here. You're not, you know, you might be a poor whatever, but you're just not working out here. And that attaboy, that big attaboy that you're expecting once a week ain't going to come. And so, yes, God did curse the ground because of sin. But work has always been an expectation. Work has always been something that we are to do because this is the gift from God. Your job, work, is a blessing. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24 in your outlines, Solomon did say, after he went off and, you know, called everything vanity, foolish, waste of time, he says there in your outlines, there is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil, in his work. To be able to come home, 
and rest and have a, you know, carne asada because you had a paycheck. You were able to buy some, uh, some carnitas. You can have, you know, a drink. You can have relaxation in your easy chair that you were able to buy because you had a paycheck. You can sit down and, and be warm in the winter and cool in the summertime because you can pay your electricity bill. You can, you can sit there in your pajamas and, and your socks because you were able to buy, you know, just... And thank God because you have the means to be able to be satisfied. There is nothing, Solomon says, here's the wisest man in the whole world. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Beloved, if you're not finding enjoyment in your toil, then you're doing something wrong. Straight up. You got to check that attitude. Are you doing it for the world or are you doing it for the word because of the word? Are you trying to please your boss or are you trying to please God? And if there is no enjoyment in there, and, you know, and here's the bad thing about this, this job that we have, that we work hard and we, we struggle and strive and, and all this anger and resentment and bitterness. And, and by the time you get ready to retire, guess what? You pop a vessel and boop, you get a stroke. All these years you've been fussing and fighting about your job and straining and stressing. And, 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 you know, most people after they retire, they say, good riddance, I'm out of here. And they go back and they, they go lay down and they die. And why? And they buy a horse. Okay, Mia, sure. <laughs> She's saying, and a horse, I want a horse. I want a horse. She wants a pony for, for Christmas, by the way. You know, if you don't find enjoyment, if you don't find enjoyment in what you're doing, yes, it causes stress, strain, headaches, heartaches, insomnia. Some people can't sleep because of what somebody said at work or their boss told them to do. Or some people don't want to get up. They get depressed. They, you know, and some people just find fulfillment in alcohol. You know, I'm going to go home. You know, this is one of the reasons why a lot of these bars are filled up on Friday nights. Oh, and they sit there, they grumble and complain and they drink. And they, so that causes more problems. Because they do not find enjoyment. They don't realize that work is a blessing. And here's what Paul was trying to get across. He says to them, number one, distance yourself, first of all, from idle brothers. Okay, there's people out there that don't want to work because of whatever reason. They have all this, you know, their idleness. They're, they're just, he, he says, now, we command you. This is a command. Okay? This is something that Paul is commanding them. This is a military term. You know, you, you have, you're given certain commands. You're supposed to stand a certain way. You're supposed to walk a certain way. You're supposed to march a certain way. You're supposed to carry your rifle a certain way. You've got to do your bed a certain way. These are commands. And Paul says, here's a command from the Lord. Now we, and he's talking about him and Silas and, and Timothy, we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. Stay away from those guys. Those guys that aren't working, those guys that are just idle, those guys that are just, you know, doing nothing, they expect for you to feed them? Paul was asking the question, how come they're not, you know, this is not the first time he's addressed this. This is not the first time he's talked to him about this. As a matter of fact, when he was there, he saw these guys. And he left very abruptly, remember, and he wrote the first letter. And in the first letter, 1 Thessalonians 4, 10, and 12, in your outlines, he says, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands, as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. He says, I want you to work with your hands. Don't be depending on people to feed you. Granted, you know, not everybody can work. To, 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 to tell my, my daughter, 
that's sitting here. I'm not going to mention her name. To tell my daughter, you know what? The Bible says that I've got I've to distance myself from you because you're idle. You're not working. So I, I'm sorry. You're going to have to leave. Okay, there's just some people that can't work. It's just, this is not what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about people that cannot, are not able to, for whatever reason. He's talking about people that just will not work. They want, want free food, free money, free whatever the case may be. And you know, our society has built and has developed and has grown a culture and a people of entitlement. I am entitled to your money. Give me some money. I, I don't have any. I'm, well, I, I never say I, never, I don't have any money. People ask me, hey, can I get a couple bucks? I go, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I come back out. They, they come out here. I thought you said you didn't have a couple bucks. I didn't say I didn't have a couple bucks. I says, I can't help you. Do you want help? Yes, I want help. All right, let me take you down to the rescue mission. Let me take you down to where they can give you some help. Oh, no, I want your money. Okay, that's different. Now, I'll pray for somebody. I'll feed them if I can, if they want food. Most of the time, I try to feed people. They just want the money. They just want to be able to, they want what I have because they don't want, they don't, they don't want to work for it. And I have no problem. People have come here. I mean, I can tell you, time. I can tell you story after story after story. People that have come here and have asked for help. And I says, "What do you need help for?" Well, I need a ride. I says, "I need get gas money. Where do you need to go? I need to go Fontana. Well, get in the truck. I'll take you." Well, can't you just give me the money? No, I'll take you. I'll take you. And and as a matter of fact, out of all the years that I've been here, I've had maybe three people. Three people. Of all the people that have come here and asked for food and, and stuff. And sometimes I have food here and I feed them and they're happy. Sometimes we, have, we used to have food left over, and so we fed them. I, I bring my lunch, I give them my lunch. And so, but, but three people, out of all the people that come here for gas and for help and for work, whatever the case may be, I says to them, look, I'll, I'll take you. Will you take me? But I got to take me and my kids got to go. Where are they at? They're down to go get them. Bring them over, and I'll take you guys to, to, to we went to Pomona one year. I'll take you to Pomona. And guess what? I shared the gospel with them, and when we got there, I actually gave them some money here. So you make sure you give back or for whatever you need. I actually help them. Most people don't want help. And those are the people that Paul is talking about here. He says, you know what? I want you to stay away from them. Distance yourself. We it's a command. He says, keep away from any brother. As a matter of fact, this is not worldly people. These are people within the church that he's talking about. A brother. You know, because somehow he has not learned the lesson of what he needs to be doing. Keep away from them. And again, in 1 Thessalonians, he did the same thing. In 1 Thessalonians 5.14, he did the same. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. In other words, you, you know, reprimand them. Hey, get to work. Start doing something. You can do this. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. And we're going to talk about that here in just a little bit. You just don't yell at people because they're not working. You bum. You lazy sluggard. You know, you just don't start calling them names. Well, one is, you know, I don't know if that's a good word to use in, in church. Uh, you know, you don't just start calling them names and yelling at them. No, Paul says, look, I want you to, you got to encourage them. We urge you. We beg you. Admonish them. Yes, help them to get a job. Help them. Tell them that they, they should be working. Encourage the faint-hearted. You know, some of these guys are just, they don't think they can do anything. Encourage them. You can do this. Let me show you how. Encourage the faint-hearted. And then he goes on to say, but uh, help the weak. And some people just, they can't work the kind of work that you do. They don't have the strength or the energy or the stamina or the intellect or whatever the case may be, but they can do something. They can do something. You know, I was talking about my daughter here just a little while ago. Uh, we just found out that um, she made a lot of money last year in Social Security. wants to take away her Social Security check because she's been working in Kansas, in Texas. Where else? Where else have you been working, Miha? She's been working. <laughs> 
She's been working everywhere. I go, whoa, no, 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 that's not her. Oh, it says here she's earning a lot of money. I can tell by your social security number. I'm sorry, that's not her. Has she ever worked? Yeah, well, you know what? As a matter of fact, she did. Years ago, when she was in high school, she did this little project, and they would give her this little measly check. It's probably about, it wasn't even enough to, to report on the taxes. Oh, yeah, we see that here. She worked for the Riverside Schools. Yeah, she only earned about $215. Okay, all year long, they would give her a little check. They would give her because she was helping stuff things, or I don't know what she was doing, but they gave her this sense of accomplishment, of ability. She'd come home with waving her check. I go, oh, look at that, Mia. Okay, now we can go to the movies or whatever. But she felt good. You know? I mean, if, if, they, if, if she can find satisfaction in that, beloved, if you know people that aren't working, you need to help them. You need to use the word, not the world. Oh, the world's going to tell you you can't do anything. You're worthless. They can give it to you for free. They owe it to you. You're entitled to it. Uh, the government has programs. Number two, Paul says, duplicate disciplined believers. He says, I want you to duplicate those that you see that are working hard. Duplicate them. And this is not the first time Paul's saying to imitate, to duplicate. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. Paul says, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. And what Paul was saying is that, you know, we, 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 we worked. We did what we could to be able to, to help out. We didn't, want, uh, we didn't want to be a burden on you. If we're going to be a burden on you, you know what? We don't want you to want to do that. And people take this and, and they run with it and they say, well, you see, here's, here's something that Paul did. How come all pastors can't be like that? How come they cannot be, uh, you know, being able to be, uh, uh, to, to be doing working as, as a pastor and then working as himself? And for, to be honest with you, for the first 10 years of my ministry, that's the way I did it. I worked that way. Uh, you know, everything that I gained, we gave back. As a matter of fact, <laughs> even now we're going to be t- discussing the budget here pretty soon and Ken can probably you know attest to this as well what the church gives me as as a, a salary I, I try to give it all back we just write a check and give it back because I love what I do I'm not doing this for the money I love what I do and I feel confident and I feel, I feel good at the fact that, you know, yeah, the church is able to, to pay me a salary. They're able to give me what they, what they can. And, and so whatever it is that they give me, I give it back. And, and, uh, and, and so as a matter of fact, one of the reasons that we still have that, I mean, we can take it out of the budget and everything else and they wouldn't even have to be there. But one day I'm not going to be here, okay? One day somebody's going to say, okay, well, and, and a pastor should be paid his wages. As a matter of fact, uh, we'll go into that here in just a little bit. Um, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, verse 15, uh, verse 17, it says, Let the elder who rules well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and in teaching. So even though Paul himself says, look, Timothy, I'm not going to get any money, but look, you are working as a pastor. This is your full-time employment. This is full-time. You should be paid well. They should take care of you. Let me just, let me just go, because Paul mentions this. Let, let me go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 with me, very quickly. And if you have a, if you have a pew Bible or a Bible off the, the chairs there, that's on page 956. <coughs> 956. <coughs> Paul was being accused of not being an apostle. 
As a matter of fact, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he was being accused of not being genuine. He was not being uh, a real pastor. He was not, he was not a real pastor. And, and, this is, and this is the excuse that they gave. You're not a real pastor because you're not getting paid. You know, real pastors get paid. Real people that, you know, that are preaching the word of gospel, the God, all the, all the itinerary pastors that come through here, all the philosophers, they all get paid. They get paid from the people. And since you're not getting paid, you're not a real apostle. And so, and, and as a matter of fact, he goes on in chapter 9, he says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Paul says, I have evidence that I'm an apostle. I'm a pastor because I have people, people that are listening to the word of God. Then he goes on to say in verse 3, This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the others, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and, and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? So Paul is saying here, all the other apostles are taking on wives. All the other apostles are eating well. All the other apostles are, are you know, we don't have wives. Paul says, I'm, I'm committing my total life to God, and I'm doing this out of my own. This is what I've been called to do. Now, not everybody's called to do what Paul did. So Paul says, look, Peter, Cephas, he has a wife. He's working at the church. James, he's working at the church. All these apostles, they're all doing the same thing. And, he says, and, I, and I have a right to do that, but I'm not. Then he goes in verse 7. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends the flock without getting some of the milk? He goes on to say, look, if I'm a soldier, soldiers get taken care of by the Roman Empire. You know, farmers, they, they are able to eat out of the fruit that they, you know, you, you plant plants, you're going to eat because you worked at it. You know, you're, you're tending flock, you're going to get the milk, make some butter, some cheese. I mean, that's how we make our living. That's how they made their living back then. And in verse 8, do I say this, these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Paul says in the Old Testament, I mean, it, it was told that if an ox is going to plow the fields and work the fields, he should eat out of the field. So treat me like an ox. Treat me like a cow. I don't care. <laughs> he says, you want to treat me like a cow? Go ahead. But the, the bottom line is, is that, is that if the cow is working and he's, he's getting fed from what he works from, Shouldn't we? As a matter of fact, everybody else around you is doing the same thing. Shouldn't we be asking for this? Nevertheless, at the end of verse 12, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, that those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Now, what Paul is saying here, he says, look, yes, I'm not, I'm not charging you. I'm not asking for you. I'm not doing, you know, and because of that, people are saying, well, you can't be an apostle. Because all apostles, they, you know, I mean, it says so in the word. <coughs> Excuse me. Paul says, I could do that. I have a right to do that. 
but I don't want to. I don't, you know, and here's one of the reasons why I believe. Paul says, look, if I get paid by you, then I am your servant. I have to stay here. God has called me to go, and he went throughout the whole world. He'd get there, he'd preach, he'd proclaim, he established, boom, he took off. And he left leaders there. You, take care of this church. Timothy, take care of Ephesus. We're going to be talking about Timothy here pretty soon in the beginning of the year. Timothy, you're the pastor of Ephesus. James, you're the pastor of Jerusalem. And you stay here and you minister to this flock. Here's where you will get your uh, subsistence. Here's where you'll be taken care of. And so Paul didn't get anything from the people because he, he didn't want to be uh, held down by anybody. He says, look, I, I, don't, I want to be able to come and go as I please. I'll stay here as long as I need to until they run me out or I'm, uh, my mission is done. And then he went on from city to city to city to city. Now, some of these people that he really ministered to, they would gather a benevolence offering and they would send it to Paul. Not that he was in need, he said. Not because I wanted it, but I, I, I receive it because it's a blessing to you. It's fruit to you. And so when Paul says this at the end of this portion, verse 9, he says, it was not because we do not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. Paul's main example was, look, everybody should work. Everybody should work. And he says, imitate me because we are not idle. Paul says, I'm always working around you. I don't need anybody's bread without, you know, paying for it. I'm not going to ask you. Uh, you know, what, what you want. I remember one time when I first became a deacon in the last church that I was at, um, I went to go visit some family members. And as I was visiting family people, you know, people, um, I, I, I stopped at a house and the brother asked me, would you like some coffee? He says, yeah, I'll take some coffee. What would you like in it? Oh, how about a couple of tacos and a burrito? And he says, you're going to make a good pastor. <laughs> I was only kidding, really. Uh, but, uh, but he says, oh, you're going to make a good pastor. And that was kind of telling. I says, I don't want that to be me, me having to visit people so that I can get paid or I can get food or no, the Lord has taken care of us very, very well. And like I said, so well that we're able to give it back. And, um, and, and so the Lord has blessed us tremendously. And I want that to be an example for you to trust God, to trust God with what he's given you. Give it back to him. Not all of it. I mean, you know, I'm not asking you to do that. Give it back to him in a tithe, 10% of what you receive. Give it back to him and, and, and watch him just, just bless you. It's, it's, I, cannot under, I cannot explain it. Sometimes I don't even understand it. I even tried a long time. I stopped trying to understand that. I just, okay, Lord, and uh, watch it just happen. Watch God just bless. As a matter of fact, this is, this is an example that you should do, duplicate a, a dis- disciplined believer. He says this in 1 Thessalonians 1.6 once again, And you became imitators of us in the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says it again, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That's pretty bold. I want you to imitate my life. Because I'm imitating Christ. I, I don't know if I can actually say that to you pers- personally, but that should be my goal to say that. I want you to imitate my life because I am imitating the life of Christ. Now, I don't know if you can say that either. I, I pray that you can. Imitate me because I imitate Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, is what Paul is saying. And some of you might think, man, that's, that's a hard, high calling. Well, it's, it's a biblical calling. You duplicate disciples, dis- discipline believers. Number three, in the back of your outline, number three. Discipline the disobedient. Discipline the dis- 
discipline the disobedient. Verse 10. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. You know, I want to pause right there for a moment. I always thought that was my mom that made up that saying. El que no trabaja no come. That was just that was just the way it was. If you don't eat, you don't work, you don't eat. That's it. And uh, and she would say, you know, you have you have to you have to eat, you have to work. If you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna, you're gonna eat at my house, you got to put in some work. And she had a nice little ranch, and you know, come to find out years later that it's biblical. We give you this command: if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So Paul says, look, if the person's not willing to work, don't feed them. They'll get hungry enough. You see, these people were up on a mountain. And Paul was saying, what are they doing up there? Well, they're waiting for Jesus Christ to come back. Well, he's not, he's not going to come back until after the, I already shared this with you guys. I told you guys this before. You know what? If they don't work, they don't eat. Stop taking them food. Stop taking all this stuff to them. You know, it, you're, you're just enabling them. This was, a, this was something that was going on back then, even then. And so the, the, the point of this is Paul is saying, look, you, you cannot just be, because one of the things that happens, when you're not at work, you know, eight hours a day or whatever it is, then all, all you have time for is to whatever, watch TV or hang around with people that, that, that don't work and talk about weedy, 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 woo, 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 about this and about that, and that's all you have time for. And also, that's why at the very beginning, Paul says, you know, I want you to stay away from those people. Why? Because they're busybodies. They want, they want to talk to you, find out what you're doing, and then they go and tell somebody else. They want to find out what's happened to you, then they go and tell somebody else. And then they try to make it all Christian-like, you know? They try to make it all holy, um, you know? Hey, do you hear what happened to Pastor? I don't know what happened. Well, let me tell you. Man, let me tell you. And I buy the cheese, man. You know, and they go, there they go. They're talking about, okay, but we need to pray for you. Why? Well, because, you know, we need to pray for so-and-so because, well, what happened? Well, let me tell you. And a half hour later, oh, yeah, yeah, let's pray. Father, just help him. Thank you. Amen. Yeah, after all the gossip is done, busybodies. You see, when you're working, you don't have time. You have time to say, hey, how's it going? Great. Praise God. You know, work was difficult today. I got to get home, take a shower. It was good to see you. Bye. You got time for just a little. I got to get home. I'm tired. My wife's waiting for me. My kids are waiting. Whatever the case may be. I feel bad for those that have to try, travel up and down the hill every day for work. I mean, that, that is taking a lot of toil. That's part of the job. It's unfortunate they don't get paid for it, and they should somehow. But, but you know, this is why we don't have time for that kind of stuff. Because we're busy. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith, and guess what? Is worse than an unbeliever. You know, if you're not going to work, if you're not going to provide for your family, if you're going to wait for everybody else to provide for them, if you're going to wait for somebody to come around with a Thanksgiving turkey and food and everything, you're not going to want to work because you just don't want to because whatever. That's worse than an unbeliever, the Bible says. In Proverbs chapter 16, again, you know, this is Solomon. He says, a worker's appetite works for him. His mouth urges him on. In other words, you know, I, I work because I'm hungry. <laughs> My appetite. Why do you work? Because I'm hungry. Because I, I got to get some food. You know, but I'm going to work for it. 
and I'm going to work for it. I'm going to work hard until I finish, you know, because later on, years later, Paul's going to say, and he doesn't know this. Well, maybe he did. I don't know. But years later, Paul's going to say, el que no trabaja, el who doesn't work, doesn't eat. So I want to work. And you know what? It is so good. That lunch taco, right? At lunchtime, ooh, man, the way Mamacita used to make it with, with, uh, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm deflecting. Let me go somewhere else because I'm getting hungry now. Number four, defend the discouraged. What Paul says here in verse 13, as for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Keep doing good. Yes, there's a lot of negativity out there. Yes, there's a lot of people that aren't working. Yes, there's a lot of people that hate their jobs. Yes, yes, I know. I've been in that world. I know it. I'm in that world. I see it. I hear it. But you, beloved, you, don't grow weary in doing good. Just do it. Just Just do the good that you can. Just keep on keeping on. Just do your job. Keep your nose clean. Get there on time. Leave there on time. Do, do what's asked of you as if you were doing it for the Lord. Just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. And don't, don't grow weary. Because I, I, I got I to tell you, I, I know. You go to show, up to show up to your work and everybody's, you know, messing around and nobody's working and, and you know, clock's already ticked and the whistle's already gone off and, and everybody's just, you know, and, and so you're the only one that goes to your, your desk or whatever it is you're doing. You, you clock in, you start working. And it can get pretty discouraging when nobody else. And then all the work falls on you because you're doing all the work. I understand. It can get pretty discouraging. But Paul says, you know what? Do not grow weary in doing good. Because guess what? Look at Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in the due season, we will reap if we do not give up. It'll come back to you. It'll come back to you. And, and the, same, the, the bad thing is, is that what people are doing around you or not doing, it'll come back to them as well. Acts chapter 20, verse 35, by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You work, you give of yourself, it's more blessed to give. You, you make a paycheck, you earn some money, you give. And many of you are very generous. You're very generous with what you have. You, you, you give to other people, to other organizations. You give because God's blessed you. And the more you give, the more God blesses you. You know, God is looking for conduits. He's looking for people that he can just flow blessings through. So he can just, so the blessings can just come out. And he's looking for people that are willing to receive God's blessings so they can go out into the world. And he, he's, not, he, he's not looking for people that are going to hold it together. You know, piling up a bunch of money for yourself is like piling up a bunch of manure. After a while, it just starts to stink. Right? But if you spread it around, guess what? Things grow. God waters it, and it grows. Number five, demonstrate love and restoration. Now, this is Paul's intent from the very beginning. Paul's never one to just say, you know, kick him out of here. Do, you know, just yell at him. Do, you know, he's not, he's not, that's not about him. But what he wants to do is to help the weak, the timid, the, dis, the, those that don't have the information or whatever the case may be. He says this once again in verse 14 and 15. Demonstrate love and restoration. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed you see, Paul is saying, I, I want this person to feel the shame of being not working. I want him to feel the shame of being poor, of being lazy, of being 
you know, a sluggard, of being a, uh, you know, I want him to feel that. So, so he says, I, I want you to, to distance yourself. He's already said that. He's already said, keep away from those people. Now he's saying it again. You know, for those that aren't listening to you, just have nothing to do with him. And, and, and this, is, this is the one thing that, that happens within our churches in, in, in America. And we're going to talk about San Bernardino for now. This letter was written to one church, and it was called the Church of Thessalonica, or to the Thessalonians. And so when people were distance from the fellowship, from the singing, from the food, from the all the things that we were doing, all the gatherings and the fun and the activities. And they were saying, you know what? You can't participate. You know, you're just not working. You're just not working. You're not working. And so you can't participate. They would be on the outside looking in and they would feel shame. He says, look, forgive me. What do I have to do? Well, just get a job. You know, let me help you. Let me help you build a skill. You know, are you willing? Yes, I'm willing to do it. Oh, come on in. See, because... All, all of this was to get people productive within the kingdom. Not so they can earn money, so they can give to the church, but so that they can earn money and not be a burden to the church. The church is to be able to help those that really need help. And we have. We've helped many people. As a matter of fact, we're getting ready to distribute it. We have a tree, a Christmas tree, that we want to give to a family that's in need. If you know a family that needs a Christmas tree, we'd like to give them this tree. And not only that, we'd like to bless them with some presents that we can buy and purchase and put under the tree for them if you know a family that's really in need. Because the church should be a blessing, not a burden. When we, do, when we do things at the church, a lot of people don't like working for the church. When we call them to come on, oh, okay, I don't know. You know, and, and a lot of us straight out say, look, I can't donate anything. I can't give you anything. Right away, it's like these churches, all they want is donations, donations, donations. And I tell people, look, you charge me whatever it is you're going to charge me. And, and because I want to be a blessing to you, not a burden. And churches have a bad name already. They got a bad rap on that. But Paul says this. He says, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. And the problem is in San Bernardino, if we hold somebody to account, he says, you know what? Hey, this is what's going on. Fine. You know, and you know what they do? They end up going to the church down the street or around the corner. And there are a lot of churches that are willing to say, hey, I've had people come to our church and they say, you know, they start talking bad about the other pastor. I call the other pastor up. Hey, man, this, this member here wants to talk to you. <laughs> or I've sent people back to the church. I says, you need to go make that right. That's my friend you're talking about. I know a lot of these guys around here. You know, I, I, if you have a you have beat, go talk to him. Find out what happened. Well, he's a, I know him. He's not like that. He's a godly man. He's going by the word of God. And if he told you to do something, it's because God's word told him to do that. Disregard, okay. If anyone does not obey what we have to say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Now, here's, here's, the, here's the clincher, the last verse. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Number five, we need to demonstrate love and restoration. We need to demonstrate. We warn the brother, okay, in love. This is not to make everybody look bad or feel bad. <clears throat> it does feel bad being disciplined, being held to account, being called, <clears throat> being called out on it. It is, it's tough. It's hard. I understand. But I'm not doing it to hurt you. I'm not doing it because I hate you. I'm not doing it because I don't want you. I don't want you here. That's not why I'm doing it. <clears throat> Amen. I do it because I love you. 
if I didn't love you, I wouldn't say anything. Yeah, go on, continue doing what you're doing. See, in Romans 15, 1, it says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Galatians 6, 1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Restoration. That's the game. The church is not a perfect place. We're all sinners. All of us have sinned. All of us fall short. And we are to restore one another and help one another. You see, what's happening right now during this time of the year, there are a lot of people out there looking for gifts. There's all kinds of toy runs. And people are just piling up toys and piling up toys. And, and you know, there's a lot of people that are going to go to these, these distribution centers that they're giving out toys. You know, because... They're giving them out. Why do I have to work? Why do, you know, why do I have to do anything? Just take my kids over here, take my kids over there, and they go home with all, more toys than maybe your kids get. <laughs> you know? And, and it's, it's amazing that people are entitled or feel entitled. But during this time of the year, it, it's coming to an end. You're going to get your, you know, the end of the year statement. And you're you're going to look at that, and you're going to say, wow, that's a lot of money. I made that much money? Thank God for that. You're going to see, you're going to realize, man, I, I just didn't realize it because, you know, you, you get it in, in increments to help you along the way. At the end of the year, you're going to get that total. And you're going to say, dude, that's a lot. Thank you, Lord. Because work is a blessing. It blesses you and it blesses others. And if you belong to the church, it blesses the church. It blesses people around you. And until we get a perspective from the word about work, we're going to continue on living this life from a worldly perspective. But my challenge to you today is this. And like I said, Paul is spending a lot of time in this portion of Scripture at the end of the chapter, at the end of the book. Almost as much time as he spent on, on the lawless one, and almost as much time as he spent on the, the second coming, or excuse me, the, uh, the rapture. He, he invests a lot of time in this particular portion of Scripture at this particular time in our life, in history, at this moment, for us, for a very specific reason. And I don't know what that is for you, to be honest with you. All I know is that this is where it came up at. Look at your job as a blessing. And stop looking at it from a world perspective. Let's stand. Father in heaven, I want to thank you again, Lord, for giving us the ability to have the energy, the the ingenuity, the smarts. I thank you, God, for how you've blessed us. We're just being able to drive ourselves to work and just the various things that we do at work and the things that we're able to accomplish. And Lord, that job has come from you. We may not like it, and it could be painful and it can be exhausting, but Lord, I need to look at it as something that you've given me as I'm working for you. And I pray that those that are within the sound of my voice can understand that. And if there's anyone here that has been, uh, or anywhere, Lord, that is listening online, has, has been, um, well, put to shame. I, I pray, God, that, that your spirit will cause them not only to be put to shame, but to do something about that. And to find employment that will bless them and their families as well. Lord, I know that there are many people that can't for illnesses and dis disabilities and whatever the case may be. And I pray, Lord, that you help the church to be able to minister and to help to those people. That's what we're here for. So I thank you, Lord, for this time. As we prepare for our holiday season, I thank you. And I praise you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen and amen. All right. May the Lord be with you. See you soon.